welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message. He says, you, you are the Garden of Eden. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. There it is the third time. My sister, my equal, my bride. You're going to go home and they'll say, well, what did you, what was this all about? And you say, I don't know, but I'm his equal. And it feels good to be the perfect match for the Son of God. A garden locked up. I first, when I first really dove into the Song of Songs, I read about 75, 80 commentaries on the Song of Songs, and I, I got something out of every one of them a little bit. But I felt like it, it was not giving the storyline, the story of the Shulamite, and some of the symbols they, they weren't understanding, I didn't think. So this garden locked up, is a good thing. When I first read it, I thought, oh, that's not good. But the more I, I prayed into it, I realized that, that this is the king's garden nobody else has access to. There are places in your life that ought to be locked up for you and God alone. They're not made for public consumption. A garden. And I did some research and come to find out Solomon actually had his own kingly gardens and it was said that his ring, the signet ring of the king, the garden gate was engineered in such a way that only the signet ring of the king could open it. And as his king, the king's ring went into there, it, it, it opened the gate of the garden. And he would go into his private garden and meditate and meet uh, with the Lord, etc. How does it feel to be the private paradise to God? You're not... For others, you know, no one else can steal my heart. No one else has the lock and key to my heart, your heart, besides Jesus. You know, the, try as you will, there'll never be another lover. It's Jesus alone. And that has to be your heart as well. That human beings can never meet a need that is designed that only God could meet. Let me try to say that a little better. There's a need in our heart that people cannot meet. This is why people go through relationships. And they're why they're convinced that if they can find the right person, well, you find the right person, but the issues of that person and you multiply. <laughs> and you got double the issues with the right person. Imagine if you had the wrong one, bro. Woo! So people aren't necessarily... The answer, and we love weddings, and thou shalt get married. Every single I prophesy over you, whoo, get married. And I prophesy that over my son, too. It'd be wonderful if he married an Aussie girl, but he's very handsome. Very handsome. He's gentle. He prays 25 hours a day. He's just an amazing guy. Very humble. Got his college degree, manages a, he, he, you know, anyway, you can give my wife your resume, your bio with a picture, three pictures attached like a passport, and then we'll, uh, we'll review it and pray. How does it feel to be the paradise of God? Under your tongue flow milk and honey. You're the Eden paradise. You know the word Eden means bliss? The garden of bliss? The garden of bliss. It means delight, pleasure. We would use the word bliss. God put man in a garden called bliss. Didn't put man in a school to learn or a factory to work or a church to preach, but in a garden to grow. And to become one. So, it lists the nine fruit of the Spirit in the garden. And I have them listed in the translation. And then in the commentary I have, I, I amplify it a little bit more. By the way, you can download the commentary on Kindle. I'm assuming they're all gone out there. I don't know. But I would imagine the commentaries kaput. They're gone. Okay. You can go on to uh, Amazon.com.au. And download anything you want of our stuff. Some of the books are not yet on Kindle, but you can get uh, all the translations. So, 
The nine fruit of the Spirit, I'm going to skip over that because I want to get to some glory stuff. And uh, he ends uh, by saying to her in verse 15, You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. You're a fountain, a well, and a spring. You're a fountain, a well, and a spring. You are a fountain, a well, and a spring. Isn't that beautiful? And you flow right into his heart. Everything you are flows into him. Everything he is flows into you. Two shall become one. And don't let the doctrines of men divide asunder what God has joined together. You are going to be a 200% human being. You're going to carry like Mary. You're going to be a dispenser of the, the divine. You're going to release the glory. Everything about you is made to be a container for the Christ. You know you're the 42nd generation. Shall I unwrap that or go on? Okay, okay. <clears throat> you know your boring uh, genealogy in Matthew 1 that you skip over? It says 14 generations from uh, Abraham. And we're talking about Gen- uh, Matthew 1. I believe it's 18 to 25. Uh, and it's 14 generations from Abraham to David. 14 generations from David to the exile of Babylon. And 14 generations from the Babylonian exile to the Christ, right? What's 14 times 3? 42. Here's the thing. You sitting down? I've counted it 20 times. I wrote it out this way, and I wrote it out this way. I counted, and there's only 41. Some of you are going to have to go and count to believe me. There's only 41. You're the 42nd generation. You complete the genealogy of Christ. Now you know that there's a 42 degree angle that you can see the rainbow. You only see it at a 42 degree angle. You are the rainbow company in the clouds. Israel stopped 42 times on its way to the promised land. Into their fullness of inheritance. And of course you know how long Jesus ministered. It was three and a half years. How many months would that be? You're the 42nd generation. You're complete. You complete the genealogy of Christ. You carry like Mary. There will be another birthing of the Christ company. He's not coming in the clouds. He's coming, I'm I'm sorry, he's not coming on the clouds. He's coming in the clouds, right? Throughout the Bible, clouds are people. What are you going to do when you realize that you bring back the king? You hasten the coming of the day of God. Which implies from 2 Peter 3.12 that you hinder or you slow down the coming. And just like the royal house when David was exiled because of his rebellious son Absalom and David the king ran from Jerusalem until finally they sobered up and realized they had just removed the anointed one. All of the elders of the land came together and said what we're going to one day say. Who will bring back the king? Who will bring back the king? You know that the word in Revelation about his coming is at hand. His coming is at hand. Is the Greek word egus, E-G-G-U-S, which is the word to, to throttle or to hold the reins. The coming is in your hands. You hold the timing of the second coming. Until the church is radiant. Christ is not coming back until a radiant bride emerges. Everybody say radiance is in my future. Radiance. He's coming for a radiant bride, mate. And I've got a list now of a number of things that 
have not happened before Christ is coming back, unpack your bags, please. You're going to be here a long time. Build the kingdom. Extend the tent curtains. Move out. Lengthen the cords and the stakes. Now is the time for the global harvest. One billion souls are coming. I believe that we will see 10 million converts in Australia in the great south land of the Holy Spirit. There's coming an awakening. Until we all come into the unity of the faith. You're not in the unity of the faith with everybody in your row. Until we all come to the unity of the faith, the full knowledge, the epinosis, the full knowledge, the experiential knowledge of the Son of God, and the full measure of the stature of Christ. My friend, for, uh, Ephesians 4.13 tells me we got some time yet. And the fivefold ministry will, will operate until these things take place. So, the church has to be transformed. The bride has to come forth. You look for better methods. He looks for better people. You cannot awaken Australia. You cannot transform Australia until you awaken Australians and transform Australians. Structures don't change, people do. And we must transform the bride with a kiss, the revelation of the scriptures, the revelation of, of Christ in us. Jesus is in you like a tea bag is in hot water. He's seeping into you. He's taking over more of you. Your water is turning into, well, a tea, I guess. <laughs> tea heat. You're going to become the lookalike partner, the radiant bride of Jesus Christ. Everything you love about Jesus is who you will be. Come on, equals. She says, verse 16, awake, north wind, if I'm really your garden. <clears throat> there I go again. <clears throat> Thank you. My conscience is getting to me. Uh, thank you. I'll, I'll, I may see you again here if I need it. <clears throat> it does help, though. What is that? Oh, it's good stuff. What'd she say, arsenic? <laughs> no, no, it's fine. All right, so she says, if I'm really your garden, then let the wind blow on me. Let the winds of the Spirit, let the activity, the angelic winds, the awakening winds, the breath, the ruch of God, the wind of the Spirit is actually breath, right? It's the same word, the breath of God. Then breathe, keep blowing on me, keep, keep breathing on me. To me, it's so amazing that when Jesus visited me in my room, he breathed on me. Oh, my. May your awakening breath come upon me. That's how we translated it in the Song of Songs translation. Blow on my garden that its fragrance will spread abroad. Let my lover come and taste the fruits of your life in me. Come and, and relish the work that you have brought forth in me. It's so crazy, my friends, that God's going to reward you for what he did in you. <laughs> He saves you, washes you, fills you, kisses you, loves you, gives you strength, sends you out to do his work, and then rewards you for everything he did. What a king. What a, whoo. So let my lover come and taste the fruits of your life in me. And he says in verse 1, the, the chapter headings, the chapter numbers don't work real well on this passage. And he says, I have come. I've already come into my garden. And he uses the word, my equal. There it is, the fourth time. My equal, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb. By the way, you should circle every time my shows up. My garden, my bride, my equal, 
my myrrh, my spice, my honeycomb, my honey. I've drunk my wine and my milk. I've feasted on you. You are my banqueting table. You are my house of wine. You are my love feast. I have come and tasted of your devotion to me. Don't hold from Jesus what he loves the most. Don't make him go on a fast. <laughs> Give him your heart. Be the banqueting table. Let him feast on your love. Let him draw it up. Let him lift out of your heart the treasures, both old and new. Let him bring into his realm the fruits of his love, the fruits of his life. Yield it. Give it to him. Certain things are for him alone. It's not for others. And then this amazing thing, he says to the revelers of the palace, to the priests that serve him, he says, come and eat, my friends. Come and eat of my bride. Taste of her. Because when you drink of her love for you, you're drinking of my love. When you feast on her, you get me. There's going to be a bride so full of Jesus that she, he, they will release the Christ to the nations. They will become a love feast for churches, for movements, for regions to feast upon. May you be a Shulamite lover. And he says, come. He stands her up in front of them and says, come. You want me? Here she, here she is. If you want me, you can find her right here. Because my life is now poured out into her. Now we go to another scene. Curtain rises, brand new scene. Knock on the door. She's in her bed. It's kind of reminiscent of chapter 3. And she hears the knock. And she doesn't want to get out of bed. She says, it's midnight. Can't you come another time? I, I've taken off my robe, which means my righteousness. I've laid it aside. I've washed my feet. You know what Jesus did to Peter's feet. That means my walk has been clean. I've already laid aside my self-righteousness. My life is clean as I can make it before you. Isn't it enough that I just stay here in bed? Why are you coming at midnight? Finally, she gets up. And the man at midnight, the midnight man of Gethsemane, with his head damp, drenched with the dew. What would, what would drench a man's hair with dew? He's been out all night. Is there any time Jesus was out all night praying in a garden? Right? He was praying. This is the Gethsemane man of sorrows. He's coming to the bride and saying, can't you watch with me one hour? Can't you awaken from your bed? I have a need. I have met every need that you ever have. Will you meet mine? Will you watch with me? Will you come? And join your heart in my time of need and be my partner? Do you just want me as the leaping Lord of the dance or can you take me as the man of sorrows? You want my laughter, but will you take my tears? You want my joy, but will you share my sorrows? A wife has to share everything with her husband. So to be the bride, we must enter into this union of intercession, of carrying his pain, carrying his sorrow for others. It's not religious. It's God. And he says, he calls her my sister again, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. Look how he speaks to her. He, you know, he, she's not going to get up in time. He's going to leave before she gets out of bed. And he still calls her these things. Jesus knows your future and your stumbles and your tumbles, and he still calls you radiant, beautiful, flawless, his perfect one. Like Peter, he called him a rock, knowing he would deny him three times. And yet called him a rock, a boulder. He spoke into his destiny. How he loves you. How he loves you. And she says, I, I just can't do it. And he, he tried. Uh, he put his hand through the, the, the latch opening. Her heart began to pound as he was near. I arose to open. My hands touched the latch of the door, dripping with 
Myrrh. What is myrrh? Suffering love. She opened. My lover had gone. My heart came out of my chest. And my heart was taken from me. How did I forget how I translated it there? I should turn to it, I guess. What does it say? You have it? Yeah, my heart. My heart did something. My heart was torn out. My heart came out of my chest when I realized I, I did this again. I don't know. My lover. So she runs out to the city, which is a picture of the church. She goes back into the church. Have you seen him? But guess what? She finds the abusive, controlling, overbearing, religious. Who said you could get out at this time of night? Who do you think you are? You think you're more passionate than we are? You think you have more revelation than I have? Who do you think you are? And they beat her. They beat the bride. The watchman. Oh, the watchman of the city. They slap her. They beat her. When we do this on Broadway, we'll be sure to have a collar and a cross and a name badge. And here they are, abusing the bride. I wish this wasn't in the Song of Songs. I wish I didn't have to mention this to you, but I've got to be faithful. There is a religious structure that will always persecute the lovers of God. And there's a Saul that throws a spear at David. And the spear is always jealousy. The spears of jealousy. Saul can't handle a more anointed young person coming right up underneath him. And a Saul... Generation has a struggle with the young that are rising up with twice the gifting, more of the anointing. You can kill your thousand. These are going to kill ten thousands. What are you going to do? Make it the decision right now. God, you raise up a David under me. You raise up a man or a woman, a young adult generation that's, in, that's like much more anointed than I am. Let them go. They'll rise up and bless you. They'll always remember an affirming leader that didn't hold them back and say, you're not ready. That's Eli. That's Saul. So Isaiah 2 says, let's go up the mountain of the temple of the Lord. We'll beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. A sword is what we use to fight other Christians. We're going to beat it into a harvesting instrument of revival and awakening. Plowshares. We're going to take our jealousy, our swords of competition. You know, you're of this, I'm of that. Your church is big, mine small, or whatever. We compare, compete, we conflict, we do all of this stuff. We're going to beat our swords as we go up the temple of the Lord. We're going to beat our swords into plowshares. And let's go after the harvest. Who cares? Who cares? There's empty chairs in every church I've been in. Who cares? And our swords, I mean our, our spears... Of jealousy, what are we going to beat them into? Pruning hooks. That's what we deal with the flesh, don't we? We deal with these fruitless issues of our heart that are dead and barren. We're going to cut them off. Instead of being jealous and throwing a spear, we're going to put the pruning hook in our own heart until we're clean. So, uh, the, the women around her, the the, those who are following the Shulamite, they're, they're like really like at this point, they kind of stand up in the drama and they become important. And they, they say, you know, uh, what is it about this man that you would take abuse like this? Now, did he really leave her? When, he, when she opened the door and he wasn't there, did he really leave? No, you know by now, he never leaves us, never. So he was always nearby. He's watching her get abused. And that's hard. And they say to her, look at what he did. He let this happen to you and didn't protect you. He let you go through this. What is it about your lover that's better than everybody else? Oh, beautiful one. See, they're acknowledging her beauty. And she's so beautiful, they're convinced she could find another. 
I mean, look at you now. You're not the goat-keeping girl that never took a bath with dirty hair and never shaved your legs and all the ugly. I mean, I didn't say that. You just thought I said that. And, and you're not that girl anymore. You're beautiful now. You're the radiant one. She doesn't wear dirty goat robes. She has beauty on her. She's caring like Mary. She says, you want to know why I love him? You really want me to tell you why I love this man? Chapter 5, she describes him head to toe. And I'll race through this because we've we got to get going. I've got to get you to uh, the mysteries of chapter 6. But his head, purest gold. His head speaks of his leadership. He's the head of the church, the headship of Christ. His head, purest gold, means the way he leads is perfect. The way he leads our lives is flawless. He's not to be faulted. Amen? Uh, He's outstanding. Oh, he's radiant and ruddy. Radiant and ruddy. That's the, the two natures of Christ. Radiant means dazzling, brilliant. Ruddy means earthy, of the earth. He's God and man. He's ruddy. He's human, approachable like any person you can approach. Even though he's God, yet he's a man. He's a God-man. The God-man rules the universe, so I can come before the God-man. But, but he's God. He's dazzling, but he's ruddy. But he's approachable, but he's holy. He's, he's like unbelievable. Fairest of 10,000, which is the highest number in the Hebrew language. That's, that's, it's like there's nobody. He's better than Justin Bieber. He's better than, I don't know. Hugh Jackman. Ah, he's better. That's for my mates over here. Did you know my wife got to sit with Justin Bieber on an airplane? Yeah, she sat right next to him. That's kind of cool. So I guess my claim to fame is I married a woman who sat next to Justin Bieber. Oh, oh, that's really awesome. You can get her autograph later. <laughs> Uh, His head is, oh, his hair is wavy and black as a raven. This is good. What's that mean? Head, his hair is black and wavy. Well, think of it like it's not gray and balding. (laughs) That means he's ever young. He's the ancient of days, but he's not old. He's the ever fresh, powerful, vibrant, full of life and glory, Jesus and then uh, eyes are like doves by the water streams washed in milk. His eyes are like doves. It means he looks at you and doesn't lock onto your flaws and your failures and your issues and your pimple and wart. He looks at you and he sees beauty washed with milk. His eyes coming up from the, like doves by the water streams, the river of revelation. River of revelation washing over his eyes. And he sees clearly, purely, tenderly. I love it. Cheeks, beds of spice, yielding perfume. Cheeks are a picture of emotions. We talked about that. His emotional makeup, his life uh, is, is spicy, <laughs> not boring. There's salt and pepper and salsa picante, and there's all kinds of curry, and it's good. When you think you figure him out, he comes with a different spice. He's very, very fun to be with. His arms, rods of gold, that's his omnipotence, gold, deity. His body, that's his inner being, polished ivory, brilliant, white, decorated with the revelation sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble. Isn't it interesting that they didn't break his legs at the cross? He's altogether lovely. Look at him at every angle. Slice him in a hundred pieces. Every one of them is lovely, beautiful. His wisdom, his tenderness, his strength, his words. The way he deals with us, the way he dances with us, the way he wants to be with us. Everything about him, my friend, everything. You'll never find a flaw with him. With every person you meet, listen, singles, every person you meet, you're going to find the flaws. Whew. Not with Jesus. Not one. Keep looking. 
up, down, right, left. Look at him theologically. Look at him whatever way you want to look. He's perfect. Altogether. Lovely. So the, the, the women who are following the Shulamite, instead of saying, why do you love him like this? The next thing they say is, well, we want to follow him too. Where is he? If he's this way, if he's really the way you describe him, where can we find him? We want him too. See, they're going to be the, the Shulamite at the end of the story. And it starts all over again. Thankfully, we won't start all over again when we're done. But the story does. And uh, she instantly realizes where he is. Where she can always find him. He's always in his garden. And I am his garden. So therefore, he's in her. And from this point on, she never deals with him externally. And now he's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in heaven is not the hope of glory. Christ in you right now is the hope of glory. Not when you die, but when you yield. He's the hope of glory. Right now in a messed up marriage, unfulfilled job, he's the hope of glory. Now, verse 4 is tremendous, tremendous. You are as lovely as Tirzah and as beautiful as Jerusalem, right? Majestic, uh, uh, you're beautiful as Tirzah, lovely as Jerusalem. He compares the bride to city. Remember, the church is a city. Now, Tirzah is the northern capital of Samaria. It's a beautiful city. And uh, interestingly, Tirzah is one of the many names in Hebrew for beautiful. So I translated it, you are beautiful as beauty itself. You define beauty for me. And lovely as Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He compares the bride to the new Jerusalem. Somebody will get this. Now, you are not going to the New Jerusalem. First, I took away your Antichrist. I took away your rapture. Now I've taken away you going to the New Jerusalem. You are not going to the New Jerusalem, my friends. The New Jerusalem is coming here. It's coming out of heaven. I saw coming out of heaven. That is a revelation that is pouring to the earth. I see a revelation of a city pouring down to the earth that is like a bride adorned for her husband. A city that is a bride. Which is it? Yes. Abraham looked for two things. A city whose architect is God. And a bride for his son Isaac. We are both. We are the city bride. Now, the new Jerusalem is a people, not a place. The New Jerusalem is a people where God and men mingle as one. The 200% company. There's coming a revelation to the earth of an upgraded version. Listen, as hard as it was for our Jewish friends to understand the new covenant Christian coming forth from Judaism, equally is it hard when I share this for Christians to understand that the church too is going to morph into the next stage of God's unfolding. The church is going to morph into the New Jerusalem where God and men mingle as one. Now, the New Jerusalem in miniature was the breastplate over the high priest. Guys still with me? The breastplate worn over the, the chest of the high priest, if you magnify it out, it becomes the New Jerusalem. The 12 stones of the breastplate, the 12 gates of the city, everything about the breastplate is a miniaturized model, scale model of the New Jerusalem. So to be the high priest, you had to have the revelation that we don't go into the house of God. We are the house of God. For the stones were sons, and sons were stones. For every stone had the name of a son. He builds the house with sons. 
The sons are the house. The house of David. The house that Jesus built. So the sons become, the transformed sons become the house of God, the New Jerusalem. Now the 12 gates of the New Jerusalem are 12 jewels, and every jewel has the name of a son. Therefore, the gate itself is an experience you go through to become the New Jerusalem, and the son's name becomes the revelation of that experience. Hope you're still with me. Let's take one as an example, and I think you'll understand. The first stone on the breastplate, the first gate into the New Jerusalem, there's 12 gateways you pass through. Now, a gate brings you a door or a gate is entering another realm. You go from this room into another room, and it's the door that brings you there. Okay? So the revelation of the name of the Son unfolding in you brings you into that new realm. The first son is Reuben. It's more than a sandwich. Reuben means behold a son. Behold a son. That's what the name Reuben means. How did you enter in to the kingdom of God? You beheld the son. You, you saw the son of God and you said he's mine. So the Reuben gate brings you one-twelfth of the way in. There's 11 more. In our journey to become the New Jerusalem company, where he equates the bride with the Jerusalem above, the mother of us all, that John leaned upon the breastplate of the high priest the night before he died and got the revelation. John unfolds it as being this bridal city coming down where God and men mingle. That it's a bride. It's the city that is a bride. I just got to say it again. I really like it. It's the bridal city. It's coming to the earth. Coming to a church near you. And we will become a mingled people where we mingle. The glory of God has consumed us. Our humanity is swallowed up in his deity, in his glory. Just as Jesus is God and man, the deity and dust kissed, and you are it now. He's releasing the revelation of Christ within you, the 42nd generation. Now, I'm going to skip all the way to the last son because of time. This would be, I could do a whole seminar just on the 12 gates of the New Jerusalem and how it mirrors the 12 experiences we pass through to become the God-mingled people. I know, I teach different. You could always turn to the book of tradition. <laughs> the uh, last son is Benjamin. Does anybody know what Benjamin's name means? Son of my right hand. Okay, so it's a journey from beholding the Son to becoming the Son. Son of my right hand. Revelation 3.21, He that overcomes will sit with me at the right hand of God. Did you know every Benjamite in the Bible was left-handed? Every time the Benjamites were mentioned in the Bible, they were left-handed. Start with Ehud, the judge. Lefty gave it to Fatty. You remember Ehud, the, the judge? Because he was left-handed, which really doesn't mean left-handed. The Hebrew means his right hand was shriveled. So what he did is he hid a dagger in the right pocket, in the right side of his robe. So when they, the, you know, the security at the airport frisked him, they didn't even mess with that side because here he is crippled. So they were looking over here where he would grab the dagger. So he goes in to see Fatty, the king. What is it? Egghead or Eglon or whatever his name was. And, and this guy was Jabba the Hutt king. He was so huge, you know, licking the girl. Anyway, he's, he's so massive that when, the, when Ehud comes in and they goes right into the king, he goes like this. He pulls the dagger out <laughs> and gets fatty right there. And it says the fat globbed over the dagger and couldn't pull it out. Isn't the Bible cool? <laughs> That's what it says. You're looking at me, but it really does say that. 
So, uh, there were, and then Judges goes on to mention a whole tribe of Benjamites that were all left-handed. Isn't it interesting that the revelation of the sonship, that were sons, the son of my right hand, the revelation of the sonship came from a Benjamite? Paul of the tribe of Benjamin. Then verse 5. Turn your eyes from me. I can't take it anymore. I can't resist the gaze from the eyes that I adore. I got to read this. Wow. Come back, it's getting good. Turn your eyes from me. Can you, guys, are you hearing me? Can you imagine Jesus saying, Stop. I can't take this. He's looking into your heart. He says, I, I, I'm undone. Turn your eyes from me. I can't take it anymore. I can't resist the passion of the eyes that I adore. Overpowered by a glance, my ravished heart undone, held captive by your love. I'm truly overcome. Overpowered by a glance, a glance of your eyes, weak, frail, not that good of a driver, burp at the table, got issues still, your eyes ravish him, you conquer him, your gaze, your loving gaze, you haven't even seen him, but you love him, and you still, though bruised, hurting, Everything around you is kind of a mess. You love him, and it overpowers him. Your king is overpowered by your glance. A worshiping glance of love to Jesus conquers him. You're, you're overcoming him. You conquer Jesus Christ. How does it feel to conquer the inconquerable Christ? All the demons of hell can't do what you can to Jesus. You conquer him. You conquer the conqueror. Why, that would make you more than, than a conqueror. Where do you think Paul got it? I told you, Pauline theology is rooted. It's based right here in the Song of Songs. That's where it comes from. You conquer the conqueror. He can't resist you. you. You are irresistible to Jesus. Mate, this is crazy. That he, he loves you so much. He calls you equal, radiant, bride, glorious one, in whom I delight, my garden of Eden, the garden of bliss, the paradise within you, milk and honey I placed within you, flowing as I consume you and fill you with my presence. I feast on your love. You become my banqueting table. And when you gaze at me, incomplete, you haven't even seen who I really am, and you love me that way, I'm overcome. I'm conquered by a glance. This may not be the best illustration, but when I look at my wife's eyes, oh, my, my, my. Wowzers. Phew. Oh, Mufasa. I, I'm overcome. It happens. If I, if I look too long, I'm gone. And I start to shake my knees buckle. I'm overcome. And, and my hand shakes like this. And, and I get a manifestation. It, it, it shakes and it reaches back into my pocket and it pulls out my billfold. And I say, oh, what do you want? Money? Here, take this card. It has a higher limit. Actually, take Andrew's card. 
she actually had it for a moment. I can't resist. I don't want to give her a gift. I want to give her a mall. I want to buy her the whole thing on his credit card. <laughs> Love is silly. Love does like, it's like he says, what do you want? Ask of me. You want nations? You want Australia? You want Melbourne? Ask of me and I'll give you the nations for an inheritance. I'll give you anything you ask for. You conquer me. I'm overcome. Now, you know what the word overcome is in the Hebrew? Rahab. The name Rahab means overcomer. You have Rahabbed my heart. This is poetic. The whole Bible's this way, folks. Have me come back if I behave, and, and we'll do another book. You pick the book. I love to teach it. Zechariah, the eight visions he had in one night. Joel, Joel, Joel's army. John, the seven miracles of John and where miracles are birthed. The letters of Paul, the mysteries unfolded. 27 Greek, 27 times in the New Testament, Paul uses the word mysteries. And the church doesn't have a clue what they are. Rahab, okay, time to think where I was. Rahab. You have Rahabbed my heart. Think about Rahab for a minute. Did this chick have anything to overcome? I mean, this girl had to overcome a lot of stuff. She had to overcome her past, right? Can you imagine walking through the village of Jericho and what the, the women would say about her? Can you imagine what the men would? No, don't imagine that. Don't, don't imagine that. She had to overcome. So do you. You've had to overcome. You've had to overcome your hurt. You've had to overcome parenting issues, sibling issues, money issues. You've had to overcome so many things. But can I say to you, my beloved friends, there's still one more thing you must overcome. Him. Conquer him. Conquer the conqueror and become more than a conqueror. Through him who loved us. You can do it. Jacob did. Jacob wrestled with him. Jacob won. Jacob got what he asked for. Jacob is the male Shulamite. They both come out of the wilderness leaning, limping, resting in the heart of one greater. So verse... Nine, I'm going to go down to nine real quick. Is it, uh, yeah, it is time to go home. Okay, well, let me do nine and ten. We'll go home. Is that okay? Uh, I mean, you're already here. <laughs> I'm doing all the work. You can just enjoy it. Um, when I shared this in, in a Korean church, the pastor and his wife, Moksanim uh, and, and uh, Samonim, Moksanim, Samonim, they fell out in the spirit, shook under the power of God. The spirit fell over the whole church. I couldn't even finish the teaching. I thought, you have to get back up. I got to finish. <laughs> Can I share with you the, what, what blasted into the heavenlies over that congregation? Verse 9, the four things Jesus says about you. My dove, my perfect one, unique and favorite. You're my dove. Uh, pitugi? Is that uh, metugi? No, pitugi is dove. Any Koreans here? Pitugi, dove. Oh, good. I can impress you. At least you can think that's what it is. Uh, my dove, my, what is it? My dove, my perfect one. What? Perfect? How does it feel to be perfect in his eyes? My perfect one. My dove. My perfect one, unique and favorite. I'm the favorite one. I said, I'm the favorite one. No, I am. I'm the favorite one, mate. What do you mean, I'm the favorite one? 
Isn't it good that in the love of God, it, it, it disperses but doesn't weaken or, or, or fail? That He loves us equally as His favorite? I like that. So I'm going to end this day knowing that I'm His favorite one. And if people uh, write their nasty, naughty little blogs about me, I, I'm still His favorite one. Nah, 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 nah. I'm going to go to bed and sleep well, and I know in my heart I'm not what they have said, so I, I'm his favorite one. Do you know why the devil hates you? You took his place. The five I wills of Satan, I will ascend, you already have. I will make my throne above, you already have. I will be like God, you already are. I will do all of these things. You already have. Nah, 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 nah. He hates you because you took his place. I'm the bride. You're not. Ha, 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 You can crawl around and mess up the earth all you want, but I'm the bride. And so are you, my friends. Bright as the sun. Fair as the moon. Majestic as the stars in procession. And he lifts our eyes to the heavens and he compares us, in verse 10, he compares us to the heavenly realm. And he says, bright as the sun, fair as the moon, mighty as an army with banners, or majestic as the stars in procession. Depends on how you translate it. Either way is good. Bright as the sun. Deborah's prophecy ends in Judges 5 with this cryptic, verse that's never been, I think, believed because probably she's a woman. They didn't take her prophecy serious. But Deborah's prophecy was that in the last days, those who love the Lord will shine as bright as the sun. Did you hear me? There's coming a generation that will be sunlight releasers. They will be dazzling like mountain of transfiguration on two legs. They will walk in the brightness of His appearing. The coming of the Lord is the becoming of the Lord. If you'll look at the word parousia, you'll change your life forever. P-A-R-A, -A, para, which means beside you. Para. Uh, you're paras right there. And uzia comes from a, it's the, derived from a, a word that means to be made visible. To be seen, to be made visible, right beside you, to be seen. You're not hearing me. The coming of the Lord, the parousia, has nothing to do with heaven to earth. It's out of the invisible into the visible, right beside you. Come on, 42nd equal generation. Radiant Shulamite lovers leaning upon his, his breastplate into the heavenly realm, the New Jerusalem company. Come on, Shulamite lovers, living sacrifices, Joseph company, Joel's army. It's you, the new breed daybreakers. It's a revelation of a people rising up in the last days. Because we haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not real. We haven't seen him and he's real. 